This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 233 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have another tale of witchcraft and sorcery. This is the tale of the witch's excursion. But before we get down to that, a very big and warm welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your very first time listening to Fireside, this is a great introductory episode to what we do here on the podcast, especially for the time of the year that it is as a recording as we enter the Feast of Samhain and we celebrate Halloween, the ultimate pagan feast and the ultimate time for the telling of stories of all things dark and gothic and wonderful and weird. And if you enjoy this episode, why don't you head right back through the ranks, uh, possibly as far back as episode one, over 230 episodes ago, and see what we've been building up to over the nearly five years of this podcast. But this is all new, old news to you if you're a returning listener. Thank you so much for your continued support. I always very, very genuinely mean that. All the usual ways you can support the podcast, you can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the best places to, if you have any questions, queries, comments, business inquiries, personal inquiries, whatever, just even to say hello. That's the best place to get in touch with me. Um, you can share this on your story. You can tell your friends. This is still the best way to spread the good name of Fireside. And if you want to support me in a more direct way, you can buy my book, Garden Sea, a Neomyth of Home, my poetry collection, which can be shipped in paperback all around the world uh, and is about to celebrate its second anniversary coming up in December. Um, it'd be great to boost the sales again leading up to Christmas. Um, it has made uh, happy Christmas presents for people in the last two years, and so it could be it could be for you too. Um, and you can also join Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's lovely to be recording with you all again this evening, as it is the evening, it's very late at night at the time I'm recording which is the perfect time to be recording for such a story as this and such a season as this. Um, I, As of the time of recording, I'm about to go on uh, the radio here in Ireland on 2FM um, this Friday, the 17th of October, uh, to discuss Owen the Goths, uh, which is the Cave of Cats, the gateway to hell, the portal to the other world, uh, which I'm going to be chatting on Jen Zamparelli's show with 
So anyone who's listening to this episode before that um, that episode airs, uh, before I go into the studio, uh, why don't you give a listen? It'll be on at 10 past 10 in the morning if you're on your commute or near a radio. Um, I'm hoping that there will be uh, a recording of it that I can share or uh, clips of it uh, to put online um, for anyone that doesn't get a chance who's very interested at all in hearing me talk about that strange phenomenon of Irish mythology that it, that still exists in the real world. And yes, I'm looking forward to starting rehearsals on Describe the Night. Uh, the play I'm working on will be with Glass Mask Theatre from December, from November 20th to December 9th. Uh, wonderful, wonderful play um, on the rise and fall of the Soviet Union from the perspective of seven interconnected lives of which I'm playing um, the Russian-Jewish writer uh, Isaac Babel, um, who was tragically executed as part of Stalin's purges in the 1930s. It's a wonderful part, it's a wonderful play, and I'm very, very much looking forward to uh, getting back on the stage again. Um, so I'll put a link to the tickets in the bio below. Anyone who's around Dublin, who that sounds like their type of thing, come along and see it. Come along and see a weird and wonderful and myopic, uh, not myopic, um, kaleidoscopic um, journey into the psyche of uh, some wonderful characters. Um, not a very good pitch for it, but I'm very tired at the time of recording. Uh, but I'll talk more about it in the coming weeks anyway, and that'll be there if anyone is around and interested. But the story for this week, this will be our last uh, spooky tale, our last Samhain story before our fireside of horror halloween special which will come out next it'll come out tomorrow as the time of recording um and it's a lighter one than some of the more recent dark tales we've been exploring over the last few weeks and that's no harm either and um, this feels like a very classic fireside tale with a bit of whimsy and wonder in it that was a lot of fun to adapt and has echoes to some of the other stories that we've adapted on the podcast shows that witchcraft and sorcery doesn't always have to be that malevolent. Uh, it's a nice adventurous tale, and uh, we'll chat more about it, of course, afterwards. But this is the story of the witch's excursion on Fireside. The Witch's Excursion Seamus Rua, or Red James, as he was known, woke in the middle of the night to the sound of laughter beneath his bedroom. This was particularly alarming because he lived in his home alone, save for his old housekeeper, Madge. Fearing his house was being burgled by surprisingly loud thieves, Seamus quietly climbed out of bed and looked for something to defend himself with. He could find nothing, and so Seamus Rua crept from his room and peered down the stairs. In his kitchen, Seamus saw a group of six older women gathered around a roaring fireplace, laughing and drinking beer. All of them bore a striking resemblance to each other. They could have been sextuplets. So identical were the old crones. But this was not what baffled Seamus the most. What got him was that each of these women looked exactly like his housekeeper, Madge. She was surely one of them, he thought. 
but Seamus could not for the life of him figure out which one was his housekeeper. Looking closer, he realised one of the women seemed to be holding court, as if this was her own home. She was the loudest, and went woman to woman, refilling mugs and telling tales. This was surely Madge, thought Seamus. Red James was actually impressed. Fair play to Madge, he thought, for being so bold to invite her sisters over for a party without his knowledge. Seamus would have probably done the same himself. But then he remembered that before he went to bed, Madge had encouraged Seamus to drink a hefty jug of punch, which he had left beside his bed. Seamus had forgotten all about the hot whiskey, and when it was no longer hot, he decided not to drink it. Just as well, he thought. Who knows what else could have been in that potion, for if he had, he no doubt would have been deaf to the party in his house, a party that he had not been invited to. Seamus Rua saw Madge pour six whiskies. It was Seamus's best whisky, and she poured it in his best whisky glasses. Now he was getting annoyed. Next, Madge proposed a toast. To the master of the house. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> All the crones laughed. Cackled, in fact, mocking Seamus Rua. Seamus was now growing as red in the face as his name suggested. He would not stand for this rudeness. But before he could charge down to kick the sisters out, one of the women said, Well, I suppose we should be off then. The sisters agreed, and then Seamus saw each of them produce a red cap which they placed on their respective heads. Then each grabbed a small tree branch. A red cap was never a good sign, and the clutching of a branch confirmed it. The woman who announced the departure said, By Yarrow and Rue, and my red cap too, off to England! The stick in her hand took flight, and gripping onto it, the woman flew up the chimney. These were no ordinary old women. These were witches. One by one, the witches followed each other up the chimney. But Madge, the housekeeper, waited until last. She was cleaning up a bit before her departure. But as she produced her own cap and branch, Seamus Rua ran down the stairs and snatched the magical artefacts out of his housekeeper's hands. How dare you bring witchcraft into my house, he said. And how dare you attempt to drug me so that you can have a party? And especially how dare you for not inviting me to a party in my own home? I'm going to see what all the fuss is about. And if you're still here when I get back, you'll find out what happens to witches in Seamus Rua's house. Having sufficiently scolded his housekeeper, Seamus Rua remembered the incantation and said, 
by Yarrow and Rue, and my red cap too, off to England. Seamus Rua felt the pull of the branch which carried him up the chimney. The chimney was narrow and certainly not wide enough for him to fit through, but the red cap and branch seemed to shrink Seamus as he passed through. Suddenly he was high in the night sky. He wanted to scream, he wanted to shout, but Seamus knew a little, at least, about sorcery and knew that any poorly chosen word could break the enchantment and send him plummeting to his death. So Seamus said not a word and held on for dear life. Over the Wicklow Hills Seamus flew. From the mountains to the coast he was soon over the salt smell of the Irish Sea, which splashed and flickered in the moonlight. Soon Seamus saw a sight he had only seen in the distance on a very clear day, the mountains of Wales. He had crossed over into Britain, and it was not long before he was in the affluent infrastructure of England. The cap and branch seemed to slow slightly as Red James was brought towards an enormous castle with towers and battlements he had only dreamed of seeing. The branch was pulling him straight for the castle door, and Seamus nearly let go, lest he should smash his poor pasty body on the walls. But he had hung on this long. The cap once again shrunk Seamus, and he passed through the keyhole of the castle door, down the staircase, and into the cellar. Seamus Rua came to, surrounded by five of the six witches who had just been in his kitchen. Rather than question who he was or what he was doing there, the old crones welcomed Seamus Rua. He then took in his surroundings. They were in the castle's wine cellar, filled with thousands of barrels, casks, and bottles of wine, ale, and brandy. Mugs were produced, and soon Seamus was clinking and toasting the health of all the witches. The red cap seemed to be hypnotizing him. Seamus began to feel that he was indeed now a witch, and this of course was not aided by the intoxication of the wine. Seamus Rua forgot all of his worries and spent the night singing and dancing with the group of witches in the wine cellar of an English castle. It was, by all accounts, the best night of his life. But all good nights must come to an end. The sun will always rise, and as they say, drinking is borrowing happiness from tomorrow. Seamus Rua woke up with the mother and father of a hangover. As he gripped his skull, as if to squeeze the pain from it, he achingly opened his eyes to see himself surrounded by armed guards. Seamus was kicked and beaten and dragged to his feet. Disoriented, he looked around. He had been left alone in the cellar, and there was no sign of a single witch. Those hags have abandoned me, he thought. 
Seamus Rua was shackled and dragged before the lord of the castle. A native speaker of the Irish language, Seamus was not the strongest English speaker, and so could not even explain his story to the English lord. Even if they had spoken the same language, who would have believed his tale? What gibberish are you speaking? the lord asked. I believe he is Irish, my lord, said a guard. Good lord, we'll take this sorry sack of Hibernian pig shit out of my sight. We will hang him as soon as the gallows can be prepared. Seamus Rua may not have spoken very good English, but he got the gist of what was being said. He knew he was in big trouble. Seamus Rua was accused of stealing all of the drink in the wine cellar, and when he was brought to the crowded castle courtyard, he then fully realized the penalty of his crimes. He saw a lonely wooden staircase leading to a platform with a tall post and a menacing noose hanging, waiting to grip his neck. No further language was needed for Seamus Rua to feel violently sick. Worst hangover ever. But as Seamus Rua mounted the scaffold, and he struggled against the guards as they put the rope around his neck, Seamus heard a sound. It was an unexpected sound, but one that brought him comfort in the darkness. It was the sound of someone speaking his native tongue. Seamus heard a woman in the assembled crowd of the courtyard cry out, Ah, God, Seamus, isn't it terrible that they're hanging you without your red cap? When Seamus heard the words, Capin Darek, his heart grew once more. When he was asked by the hangman if he had any final request, Seamus used what English he had to ask for his red cap which had surely fallen off his head during his drunken stupor in the cellar. A guard, retrieving the cap, placed it on Seamus before the bag covered his head. Through the muffled darkness, Seamus cried out at the top of his lungs, By Yarrow and Rue, and my red cap too, home to Ireland! A crowd of Baffled and disappointed onlookers watched as Seamus Rua did not drop from the gallows, but shot up like a cannonball. Tearing the rope and wooden beam from the scaffold, he flew high into the sky, heading west for the sea and home to Ireland. And the lord of the castle was forevermore cautious about quickly hanging any Irishman. For you never know what mystical powers a paddy may have. The End (laughs) 
So if the security guard never saw Aoife leave the building, how could Mark have committed the crime? And then there's a letter from the confession box. Anyway, sorry for the rambling voice note. But to answer your question, no. If this sounds like you, then Headstuff Podcast's competition, Join the Cast, is offering you the chance to record your own podcast series worth €50,000. Simply pitch your idea at jointhecast.ie. T's and C's apply. And there we have the lovely tale of Seamus Rua and the witch's excursion. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, certainly after the last uh, witch episode, uh, the most previous episode of Fireside, which I recorded on the same night and uh, wrote in the same couple of days as this story. Uh, It's really nice to have a lighter story after the darkness that was uh, a Queen's County witch. Um, And we see we see the the much more jovial and I don't want to say childlike, but almost childlike aspect of the Irish folklore that makes it a lot more have a lot more in common with certain grim fairy tales, which also all, all have their their gruesome energy to them as well. But it's a very simple, very flowing story. It's a story of being spirited away by the other folk, and so we have Seamus Rua who wakes in the middle of the night and uh, lives on his own, but is obviously affluent enough uh, to afford a housekeeper. And this seems to be set. Um, a long, long time ago, there's a mention in the story adapted from that it is the Dark Ages. So we're imagining it's it's certainly earlier than a lot of the Irish folk tales, which typically, not always, of course, but a lot of them seem to be from around the 1800 to 1900 period, um, before and after the Great Famine. That's certainly when a lot of them start to be recorded and written down, and so it makes sense that ones that were word of mouth uh, would have been the freshest and most up-to-date version of these stories. But this seems to be an earlier story, again, that that came, as most of these recent stories have, from the, our, our Bible of Fireside, the WB8 Fairy Folktales of Ireland. And this version, which was adapted by Patrick Kennedy, along with Lady Wilde and T. Croft and Croker, was one of, and um, Douglas Hyde was one of the big big uh, folklorists and many of the stories come from their um, writing of the stories uh, which nearly always came from an oral tradition otherwise but these were the ones who published them in various collections and Yeats kind of gathered a lot of these and in some cases left them as they were in their respective uh, original collections which is why there can be a drastic uh, difference in in tone and language and writing style uh, throughout even this one collection. But there is a curious detail. So this story was originally published in a book called Fictions of the Irish Celts. And when it has the naming of Seamus Rua, which is the Irish for Red James, um, it has an asterisk that has Irish Seamus Rua the Celtic vocal organs are unable to pronounce the letter J, hence they make Sean or Sean of John or Seamus of James, etc. There's kind of shots fired in how that is um, written, isn't it? Um, and of course, these would have been 
you know, 18th, 19th century tales um, when the attitudes towards Ireland, uh, particularly in Britain, were not the kindest. Um, but it's just that use of words are unable um, because, yes, for those outside of Ireland, there are, um, there are a certain amount of letters. There are eight letters of the Roman alphabet that are not in the Irish language. They are known affectionately now as the Hateful Eight. Um, the most um, obvious example being that there is no V in the Irish language, um, and hence why names like Sive, a notoriously difficult name for people outside of Ireland to, pr- to pronounce because from how it's spelt, um, is usually spelt S-A-D-H-B-H. So D-H's, B-H's, M-H's, these are typically how we would use um, V in Irish names and place names. And so, for example, my name is Kevin, uh, which comes from the Irish Quivine, uh, which is spelled C A O I M H, I for the N, the M H serving for the V. Um, and the reason for this is because the Irish language was spoken for a thousand years before it was ever written down. So the Latin alphabet was later added to it. And so that is why there are different kind of rules in how things were written and spelt because there was no need to ever write them down. And the the Druids and the early Celts believed that to write something down weakened the mind, and so there was a huge hesitance, like there was in uh, not writing down any of the stories. Um, and which, thankfully, uh, the Gaelic Revival uh, insisted upon, or else we may not have a, a half as many of these but yes, so I, I do particularly, I, I do laugh at it, but I take exception to uh, the Celtic vocal organs are unable to produce the letter J. But uh, it does really give you a, like a window in to a time when these stories would have been first published um, where there might have been some readers outside of Ireland who might have read these stories viewing the Irish as some kind of alien and indeed magical creatures, which is, of course where this story kind of winds up. Um, because Seamus Rua goes on this expedition, this adventure over to England, a place he has never been, um, and ends up in a wine cellar and drinking the night away. And this red cap, the red cap is always a sign of the fairies and of the other folk. Uh, red caps are a specific a species, I suppose, or a collection of fairies, of trooping fairies. Uh, but the colour red itself and particularly a red cap is always a sign of magic in Irish folklore, as is the gripping of a branch, uh, either of a hazel tree or a hawthorn tree. These are very magical uh, beings, or magical trees. And, of course, this is where we get the very early examples of where the witch's broomstick came from. But traditionally, it was always just the gripping onto uh, a branch of a particularly enchanted tree. This can be seen uh, done exceptionally well, like everything else is, in his Dark Materials and the Witches in Philip Pullman's trilogy. Um, the witches all have demons, uh, like all creatures do in Philip Pullman's world, which are manifestations of their soul and their personality in the form of an animal. The witches' uh, demons always being birds, um, because they live in the sky and they do not ride brooms. They they hold on to um, 
branches that they fly through the air with. And we have an example of that here. And these branches and this red cap can shrink you down and grow you and fly you everywhere. And they bring Seamus Rua to this wine cellar where suppose I suppose the witches get their own back on him for denying their sister who had hosted this original party her invitation over. So the, the witches were essentially on a pub crawl. You know, they were having pre-drinks in Seamus Rose house and then they were going to the big party out on the session in the wine cellar of an English lord's castle. And Seamus Rua has the night of his life like me riding around on the back of a John Deere tractor in Nashville, which was wow, that was thinking of because that was the best night of my life. Um, and we get the manifestation, a metaphor for the worst hangover you could possibly imagine, which comes the next day when he is found and beaten by guards and sentenced to hang. And then we get the, the darkness welcomed back into this story. Uh, it was very fun and interesting to play around with the language in this as well. Because at this time, you know, very few Irish people would have spoken the English language, particularly not the the lower class of which Seamus Rua probably belonged, even though he could afford a housekeeper. Um, so I initially had the plan to make him not speak English at all. That was in the first draft. But then he needs to be able to communicate with the hangman about getting the red cap. So we needed to have, so I thought it was interesting to play around with him having a certain grasp of English um, but still out of the potency that I did lift from the original story of, at this darkest hour, the, the music and the pleasure and the comfort in hearing the sound of the Irish language in the crowd uh, at the gallows. But as always, let me know what you thought of this episode. Um, if you found it a welcome sense of brevity after some of the darkness. Now, there's been light tales, like the, the puka tales have been light as well. But certainly after our last witch tale and our couple of banshee tales, um, let me know what you thought. Next week, we will have our Halloween special. All of these episodes have been Halloween specials. But next week, we will take another look at actual extracts from Gothic literature. None of my adaptation, just uh, an enjoyment a reading and a discussion uh, of the joy of some perfect literature to read at this time. Um, we're going to read an extract from Dracula, uh, which I did on the very first Fireside of Horror years ago, um, four years ago now when we did the first one of that, but a different passage from it that I think gives a really good example of the book if it's something that you haven't come across yourself, if you haven't actually read Dracula, which I highly recommend. And I'll also be doing an extract from something a bit different from Jane Eyre, um, which is another wonderful gothic novel that is a lot more frightening and gruesome than I certainly realized before I read it. Uh, but a beautifully, masterfully written book. And yes, it'll be fun to explore sections from both of those. So follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea and Neil Myth of Home, from Kindle um, and Amazon or in paperback, which will be shipped all around the world. Support me on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.